Have fun plans for the outdoors? Make the memories last with the best outdoor coolers and drinkware. Celebrating 10 years of cool, Orca was founded in 2012, born from the idea of making a hard-sided cooler that beat out all the rest. Orca coolers are built to be as strong as the adventures you take them on. That's why they have a lifetime warranty while giving you world-class maximum temperature retention. Orca's drinkware offers the same high quality, keeping your drinks icy cold or hot for hours, and they look great while doing it. Their stainless steel vacuum-sealed tumblers and martini cup are perfect companions for your next outdoor adventure. Go to orcacoolers.com backslash bourbon for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com backslash bourbon for 15% off. Orca, make it last. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. If you are a store, you're a group, you're a blog, you're a podcast, you're a distillery, whatever it is, you need laser edge glassware at wholesale prices. Reach out to me. I'd be happy to get you in touch with the whole family behind distilleryproducts.com doing amazing things. We use them. You should too at distilleryproducts.com. Hey, y'all. I want to let you know we've teamed up with our friends at pickshop.com. They have an app, the Picks app. It is a new awesome thing that we're, we're moving a lot of our stuff to. We're moving tastings there. We're moving posts there. We're not going to leave Instagram and Facebook and all the other places, but Pix is this really cool thing that we're getting to build with them. We're getting to build how you post. We're getting to build how you go ahead and put in a tasting, and these tastings will match you up to other people and other whiskeys that you are very compatible with based off of what you've put in for your tastings. There's so much stuff. I can't even tell you enough in a minute, but go to pickshop.com, hit the link, get the app, get in there, start tasting, start posting, be a part of the community. We're going to be there. You should be there too. Go to pickshop.com and get the app. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. Zeke Baker is on assignment, but together we make the Dad's Ricky Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us part of your day. It is a very special day here on Dad's Drinking Bourbon. I know a lot of you in the bourbon community, you like shoes, you like clothes, and you like watches. And there's a brand out there, Oak and Oscar, and it was, I'm, I'm going to let the man tell you the story behind his brand, but it is inspired by bourbon and inspired by his dog. These are two great things that I can get behind. So I have Chase Fancher from Oak and Oscar. He is the founder of this watch brand. And for people that love bourbon, I think this is a great marriage of two things that a lot of the community likes. So Chase, welcome to the show. Oh, John, thanks so much for having me. It, it's a it's an honor for me. I've listened to you guys for a little while. I love what you're doing on uh, both the podcast, social media, but then also for Dad Do You Like Bourbon. It's a great, it's a great relief. It's just a stress reliever to listen to you guys have fun and talking about bottles that you guys like in the industry. It's uh it's fun. It's a true honor. I really mean it. Thank you very much. I, I think we explain it to everybody that like if Bourbon Pursuit is 60 minutes, we're the daily show. 
and we know we're never going to get 60 minutes numbers, but like we want you to laugh and enjoy yourself and walk away and be like, crap, I learned something. I didn't even realize I did. That's the whole point of it is to laugh and have fun. Uh, and going back to your your comment about uh, Oak and Oscar, like that's the whole point of why I wanted to start it. You might be thinking about this question later, but I founded Oak and Oscar, a Chicago boutique watch company, mainly because I, I wasn't satisfied with my day job. I worked at a great company, great employees, great teammates, really you know, great benefits. That was great. I've said great a few times. Lots of great things. It was great, uh, but it wasn't it was great, great enough to stay. Wasn't great enough. But truthfully, I wasn't inspired by it. I wasn't passionate about it. And if I was going to be away from my wife and my my now two kids, it better be for a pretty darn good reason. And I wanted to create something that was really personal and meaningful. For me. I've always loved watches. I loved the idea of brand management, entrepreneurialism. And I wanted to kind of put the two together. And I wanted it to be about something that I loved as a person, as someone who I'd be passionate about. Obviously, I've loved bourbon. My family's from Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up, you know, going to my uncle's house and, and having good bourbons at Thanksgiving, even when I wasn't fully of age. Don't tell anyone. And it was something where I've just I've been around that world for a while. So the oak is from bourbon. Obviously, everyone who's listening here knows exactly that connection. But then the Oscar is actually my dog's name. And part of our profits go to a local dog shelter here in Chicago. But, you know, my first word was a, an old dog's name, uh, Jesse, I think it was. <laughs> um, dogs have always been an important part of my life. We, we've we grown up with dogs. We, um, we've got a family out in uh, Whereas in Pennsylvania, they actually run a dog shelter there. And so it's it's combining my loves. It's it's bourbon and dogs, and I get to spend more time with my family, playing with watches, doing branding, and it's just, it's amazing. It's great. I love it. So if my dogs were to be the inspiration along with Oak, I could either have Oak and Rye as a brand or Oak and Waffle, and that yeah, would be a I mean, pretty good brand. Oak and Rye sounds like a delicious drink, and then Oak and Waffle sounds like the perfect brunch. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> like, I I probably wouldn't name a watch brand Oak and Waffle, but I would name a restaurant Oak and Waffle. I think that would be really good. Yeah, just don't use the word house in it. You might get sued. <laughs> I would get... We, we've already got cease and desist for some of the stickers we put on bottles. So we would rather not get sued or do anything controversial anymore. Want to go back to 2015 because that is when you were in the corporate world and then you decided to make Oak and Oscar. What were you doing in corporate America at the time? I was a commercial real estate consultant for a big four accounting firm. I was not an accountant. Uh, I basically told really big companies kind of what to do with their real estate assets, fresh start accounting, stuff like that. My nose was in an Excel sheet 24-7, talking to people in suits and, and doing things that I just, I just, I wasn't passionate about it. The most fun part of that job, besides some of the people, was traveling to different places around the world and frankly thinking about what watch I was going to bring and what I was going to wear <laughs> and stuff like that. That was the most fun part of that job. It was a great job. Good, Like I said, great benefits, great this, great that, all the greats. It wasn't for me. It wasn't something I wanted to do long-term. So, you know, on on my off time, uh, and I do genuinely mean that, you know, it's a 60-hour work week. When I had the time to focus on Oak and Oscar, I would consider branding, budgets, 
putting together a list of people that I want to work with. And it goes back to one of those questions that people always ask me is about a side hustle. Like, you know, they'll come to me saying, I've got this passion. I want to do this, but I don't have the time. And not to be like short or, or rude about it, but then you don't want enough because no matter what, you will find the time to do something that you love. Uh, no matter what, if this is what you're driven to do, if this is what you think your purpose on life is, on this earth, like you will go and do that. You will find a way. <laughs> it's like when you're in high school or college and you're like, she's not that sure if the girl's into you. Cause she's, she's, you know, really busy. Yeah. She's not, she's not into you. Like find someone who's going to like not go to class or someone who's going to skip that morning meeting because they want to spend time with you and they want to go to Oak and Waffles. <laughs> exactly. That's where your first date is. Yeah, I... Oak and Waffles. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a match made in heaven. So much to unpack here. I just want to say that from my background in IT, you know, I did radio and then IT, and I love that there are so many people that have geeked out in Excel as much as I have. Love all of that stuff. It was an art. I think Excel is an art that does not get appreciated enough from the layperson that is not behind Excel all the time. Are you you shooting for an Excel sponsorship? Is that what we're doing now? I mean, I don't think with all the Google stuff, I don't think that Excel holds as much weight as it used to. Excel, the best way to track your bottles. (laughs) (laughs) No, there are other apps. Like there are apps now where you could like take pictures, I'm sure. I I one of those apps should sponsor us, but like you could take a picture and then categorize your bottles and all that fun stuff. But the other thing, you know, I want to talk about the time because I I think that is a hundred percent correct. And when people ask us, I mean, there's so many people that haven't come on dads because we're like, listen, we record after nine and I'm up from nine to one or two every night and I'm either recording or I'm editing. And there are nights where I just want to pack it in and watch TV. But it's like, if you want it, if you want to do something, you have to make the time and you have to do it. I couldn't agree with you more. The only thing, I mean, I think for me, right, I had a radio background. And so making a podcast and audio editing and all that stuff was easy. Like I didn't have to sit here and teach myself how to edit audio. What did you have to do? Because it sounds like you were a watch fan, but like, did you really know the ins and outs of watches? Like what did you do to side hustle to begin with? Great question. Uh, I do have to quickly go back to compliment you on your phenomenal dad joke that you I don't even think you realize you made the pun you're talking about. We have to talk about time from a horological perspective, from a guy who's in the watch world. I appreciated that. I am all about the low key dad jokes that you say in a deadpan voice. That is my mm-hmm. favorite part of everything is like, do you slip it in and can the person catch it? That makes sense. Why we're friends. That works. Yeah. I get it. Uh, so yeah, to go back to like what I had to learn, which is pretty much everything. Um, but what is the most important thing to learn is what you're not good at. It's very important because if you learn what you're not good at and you hire the right people to do that, the guys and and the girls who are absolutely great at what they do that you're not good at, that's exactly what you need. Like, for example, we have Nathan, who's our in-house watchmaker, and his brain is wired in a way that I don't get. It's all mechanical. It's all gears. It's all how does this watch work and this, that, and the other. And he loves it. He's driven by it. He's passionate about that and machining and all of it. And, And I love that because that's not me. I don't know how it all works. It'll be very very honest to say that. Have you tried it? But, you know, oh, of course. Yeah. I've taken some lessons with HS and Y and I, and I, and I get it right. And it's interesting. And I've got a relatively steady hand 
uh, not like a surgeon style, but like, you know, the watch started ticking again after I put it back together. But it's one of those things where there are so many variables that are intertwined in this engine that's on your wrist that every little thing affects everything else. Like how much oil you have in the jewels, how much uh, oil you have in different parts of the bridges and the pressure of the screws. There are literally screws that you have to turn by feel. And if you turn it just like Maybe I don't even know the measurement of what it's called. The, the like an ounce too hard, it just breaks it, and it's just it's this it's oddly this high stakes thing that no one really understands or realize. And it's this beautiful technology that has been around. It's been modified. It's been perfected. It's it's been made more efficient and smaller for hundreds of centuries. And we've got these little engines on our wrists that tell us the time based on physics and gears turning and calculus and or, or math, I should say, geometry. And it's such a beautiful thing. So what I had to learn was, it, in a way, what I didn't know, so I could find people who knew better, uh, and that was suppliers, like people who were making parts for me. And I had to rely on their expertise. Things that I'm good at is, is branding, design, understanding what looks good, what's going to work, and making a brand that is cohesive and coherent and genuine and real because it's all stuff that I love and all stuff that I care about and all stuff that makes sense. You know, we had someone recently talk about the accessory straps that we sell and, and make. And they're like, I, I can't, I can't decide which one to pick. They all look good with every watch you've ever made. And this guy happened to own like six or seven of our watches. And that's by design. They should all look good. There's not going to be one color that's like, oh, that's a fucking throw that one out. Like that's terrible. <laughs> Um, because why it has to all be cohesive. I think one of the biggest things that I learned was what I didn't know and then how to find the experts to help me. A couple things there. Number one, I think every night for me is an ounce too hard that has been turned. And then secondly, <laughs> I would say that, uh, you know, the interesting thing about the straps and if you're paying attention to Oak and Oscar and you're on the website, you're looking to see what's going on. Cause Chase and I have been talking for a while. If you go to look for a strap and you kind of hesitate, that strap might be sold out before you know it. So like, you got to get on it, dude. Yeah. The strap in actually most inventory things right now are a little bit of a struggle, especially the straps because it's so hard to find the right leather at the right time and then have our leather maker have the time to make straps because these are all handmade straps by a guy in indiana uh, who also does like bourbon um and it's uh it's a challenge to keep those in stock but they're great they're beautiful they they wear like an old baseball glove i love them do you have to grease the wheel every once in a while and like send them some b-tack and be like listen i need some straps a little bit sooner like here you go bud I wish it were that easy, but frankly, he is also making so much other stuff for us that is, is unfortunately like some higher priority things. I, I can't let those go to the wayside. It all goes back to an agile model. What's going in the sprint and some things have to go to the backlog and unfortunately Absolutely. straps make it there sometimes. So again, you got these people, you, you have a wonderful team there with you. So the people that you, you talked about them before, but you know, not only do you have Oscar, but you have Nathan, who's making the watches, the director of watchmaking there. You have Andrew Benzer, who is your sales and ops manager. But basically, also, I, have, I hate to admit is, is a Malort fan, which I hate to say that out loud, but uh, mm, I almost didn't hire him. Wait, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> He's, he likes bourbon. He likes scotch. He's more the uh, the peaty and smoky guy, which I can't stand personally, but he's really great at what he does and, and he knows so much about watches and is phenomenal at talking with folks about watches and, and picking out a good one and, and, and all of that. But yes, he likes my Lord and, and Oh boy. It's really it's funny. Cause Jepson's right. That owns my Lord. Yep. 
they have this we just did a pick for frugal and it was a frugal mcdougal and dad drinking bourbon joint pick and it was jepson's bourbon but they're putting out six-year mgp for like mm-hmm. 40 bucks right and it's we're a like surprise we're like we'd absolutely take that six-year mgp yeah. for 40 bucks it's and a I, surprise but the more lord i'll skip thank you oh no <laughs> i mean but i feel like people are skipping you know they they look past the jepson's bourbon because yeah. of the Malort. And it's like, no, it Absolutely. has nothing to do with Malort. It's but really MGP. That's the good news. If you know, you know, right? Yeah. It's like one of those sleeper bourbons that we're now, of course, going to start selling a lot more of and no one will be able to get it. <laughs> which is how speaking they which, all are. Speaking of which, what are you drinking? I, I don't know if you like ever, what are you drinking tonight? So I was actually drinking our Penelope blend that we did because we're in the midst of doing two new blends for Penelope. So this is the old one that we okay. had and uh, it's 113.2 proof. We actually took the wheat out of this. So you could basically blend a corn bourbon, a rye bourbon and a wheat bourbon together for them. Sure. And the wheat yeah. on this one was really hot. And for some reason, when we took it out, we did 70% corn, 30% rye. And this turned out amazing. One of the two blends that we just did for them, again, it was really funny because the wheat was the best barrel. The weeded bourbon was the best barrel out of the three that we had to blend. And the corn was hot. So we were like, mm-hmm. can we dial down on the corn, raise up the yeah. wheat, and then we're going to do another blend that's just a corn and rye again. So we're going to cut weed out again so we'll see how it all goes Uh, i'm a i'm a weeder so it's hard to hear you're cutting out the wheat but that's all right no i mean it depends on because here's the thing it's all the balance of the profile and the flavors and everything well because this is four-year bourbon so it's already a little rough and if you but it's mgp so it's not that rough right it's not as rough as where it would be other places wheat though is such a, a finicky animal under five six seven years and I feel like there's a, a point where like wheat is really hot in the beginning and then it almost goes dormant right before mm-hmm. it blooms. Like, cause there's going to be some years you'll, you'll taste it and you'll be like, man, I don't get anything. It's not good. It's not bad. I just get yeah. nothing. Right. And then yeah. all of a sudden yeah. it's like, all right, now it's ready. And then you get everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ingredients for everything It all, it all matters. We had a batch of leather that we were making for uh, a product and, this batch of leather happened to be more oily and greasy than other batches and we couldn't use it. It's all, it's all, it's all natural stuff that you're working with and it matters. But so what I'm drinking, I know you guys are big store pick fans and and stuff of that. So I'm actually drinking one of my favorites and I'm sad that I'm getting down to the end of it, but a uh, Weller antique 107, that was a pick with big star, which is a tremendous taco place up here in Chicago. They have tremendous tacos and amazing bourbon whiskey list and rumor has it, this was actually picked out, walked the floor with Julian himself. So uh, I will say it's it's absolutely delicious. And I would put this up against a few of the, uh, of the well, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys like talk about these words, but pappies and, and stuff like that. Well, as long um, as you're not calling the 10 and 12 pappy, it's okay. No, they're not pappy. Yeah. But no, the, the funny thing is, is so Pappy for me is terribly overrated. And at the end of the day, I don't like lot B. If I'm going to get something that's that expensive, I don't want it to be 90 proof. I'd rather it was higher and then let me put sure. water in it to put it. It's like Excel data. Would you rather have more Excel data and then parse down to what you actually wanted or filter it, baby? 
Or are you going to get to the point where you're like, crap, I can't go anywhere but down from 90. Sure. And that's annoying to me. And I, I think uh, like Pappy at retail is worth it. But if you start going to those gray market numbers and you start going to those crazy, crazy extra zeros after those numbers, it's not worth it. I'll let a, a rich friend buy it and I'll have some. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm only really messing with old rip and the 15 at the end okay. of the day. And it's because I yeah. love, I mean, I love Weller Antique. I love the 107. And yeah. early on, this is one of my favorite stories about dads, but early on before we even had a podcast, we were just an Instagram live show and we did mm-hmm. a blind tasting of a non-chill filtered store pick OWA, a regular okay. OWA and an old rip. Okay. The old rip won, but it was yeah. really, really, really close. Yeah. It begs the question, like, was Old Rip? And at that point, Old Rip was 400 bucks on secondary. Like, you know, we were like, man, it's $400 worth it. And it's like, now I wish I bought like 18 of them at 400 bucks. I know. There was like years ago, I was offered some Happy 23 for like $800. And I really wish I had bought a few of them. Yeah, I mean, you think like at that point it, it was absurd, but it's like 2000 bucks now. Well, 800 sounded a lot better. I mean, that's the same thing in the watch world right now, though, is there are so many watches now that five, six years ago could have bought for a thousand bucks that are eight, nine thousand dollars now. I mean, look at Omega, how much they've gone up recently. I mean, I think it was like a two, three K bump on every single one of their watches just from, you know, when I was probably looking for one around like 2013, 2014. And then all sure. of a sudden it's like, boom, yeah. huge bump. Watches are, you know, they've never gone away. There was a crisis in the seventies when quartz came out. That's a whole nother topic for conversation for watch nerds, but you know, watches, mechanical watches have been around for a long time. They're very niche, no matter what you're going to say, they are niche, but I tell you what, they're coming back hard because people realize how amazing and wonderful they are and how, how interesting they are, how it's not just some gizmo watch on your wrist that chimes every time you get an email because god dang it i don't need something else telling me i've got an email i don't need something else that buzzes and says respond like i just want something that's beautiful and 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 works and and is a piece of art itself so that actually does bring me to my next question for the watch world in me is what watch are you wearing i don't have one on right now because i i've already like put my daughter to bed and did that whole thing my go-to is a Shinola black blizzard. That okay. is where I, t- and we've had this conversation before. You know, that's a, a 45 millimeter watch. That is it's not small. It is not small. I'm not a small man at six, three, 290 pounds. We got bigger guys wearing our Humboldt GMT or actually just our Humboldt, like Ben Napier from hometown. I think he's like six, nine. I don't know his weight, but that Humboldt looks good on his wrist. You talked about that with me before, and I- I'm telling you if I were, and these are all questions I want to get to towards the end, but there are sure. some watches that I want to know if you're going to bring back, because I think that's okay. where I would maybe gravitate towards a little bit more. And so all of your watches, that's another great question, because I want to talk about the design And basically, I feel like you do the design and then you're handing everything over to Nathan. Is that kind of how it works? Like, it's almost like you're the guy doing the sketch of the car and then giving it to the engineers and say, okay, how do you make this happen? What are the parts you need, et cetera? So there are definitely steps that are both before and in between and after that. 
So the general idea is we have a design language that we've used for years that we've worked with, we've massaged, we've built off of, and we've modified. What we do is we come up with the ideas, we come up with some sketches, we come up with some, here's what we want to make. And then we actually have a technical designer in Switzerland. The technical designer then goes through that process of making sure everything's like physically possible. This person actually goes through and like, you know, works with physics and understands <laughs> like, yeah, you can actually make this into that shape, you this thick with that and blah, blah, blah. And, and he makes it work, right? Uh, and then those technical plans are used to make the watch. And our, our team in Switzerland also handles all of our production. So they're handling the actual production of the metal cases, the dials, the hands, and, and everything of that sort. And then what happens is those pieces are made and they will either be, the watches themselves will either be assembled in Switzerland or by Nathan in Chicago. That's how that works. And, and Nathan will make parts for the watches in our shop in Chicago. His role is also with service. So if somebody's owned a watch for five, six years and needs to get serviced, which is very normal, it should be done. It's like getting your car service. It's like getting your oil changed and all of that. He will then take care of that here in Chicago too. So he'll do a lot of assembly. He'll do some making. Like for example, we did release a watch uh, just a couple months ago called the Humboldt Seven Year, where he actually physically made some of the metal bits on the top of the case, like the bezel. We also had the dial printed here in Chicago. And that was something that he made on an old like 1940s or 50s naval lathe which is such a wonderful thing to see all these like metal chips flying as he's making things. It is a so badass that's, that's watch, you know, nice and gold yeah. and blue. And it looks yeah, it was really sweet. fun. It was really fun. And we had, we only made 10 of them and we released it and launched it at a physical fair that we were doing called the, uh, the wind up watch show. It was the first year in Chicago. We kind of helped them come to Chicago. So we wanted to celebrate that seventh year anniversary and kind of like as a whiskey does, we called it the seven year. We made 10, we told people about it and we told people come line up. And so I printed out 10 tickets and I walked to the line about an hour before the show opened. And I didn't get to the end of the line before I got end of I before I got to the end of our tickets. We had more people waiting in line for hours to buy this watch than we expected. It was it was amazing. It was great. And we all then shared a um, pretty hefty pour of a seven year bourbon. It's like a bourbon release, though. You know, it's like you have your Absolutely. limited amount at a distillery. It's a distillery only released. And yeah, if you wait in line, yeah. you get it. Yeah, it was fun. It was really, really fun. We enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. So what was the first watch then you started with? Was it the Burnham or was it the... Yeah, it was the it was the Burnham. It was uh, named after Daniel Burnham, who was a city planner of Chicago and architect extraordinaire. Like he designed the Flatiron Building in New York as well. Um, and he's a guy who came up with that quote that we use every day, which is make no little plans. Right. And the, the full quote is make no little plans uh, for they have no power to stir men's blood or something. The idea for me starting the company that was very important because, you know, I, I'm not I'm not here to do this for a couple of years and, and sell the company and go or I'm not here to even just make a few watches and, and hope people buy them. I've made no little plans like my goal is this is my job for a really, really long time. Maybe my boys will work here. Maybe it's something that gets passed down. But my goal is to make watches that 50, 60, 100 years ago, people are passing down to their kids. And like, I love that idea. As a watch guy, I love the idea that we could be putting our mark in the world of uh, watches and or horology, as it's called. There are so many I like. I know we're going to disagree on on size. 
I mean, I think the Sanford at 42 would probably be one of my ideal watches. And then the Jackson is totally my style. I And I know yeah. the picture on the website of you, you're in the Jackson. And I love the chronograph look. I do like the Humboldt, the, the GMT, and yeah. it's a good looking watch. I think just I'd probably go Jackson or Sanford more. So that begs the question, these ones that you have that you sell out, you don't know, especially being a boutique, you're like a craft distiller in the watch industry. For sure. You're yeah. not going to go make 10,000 watches because if you're left with 5,000 watches left because you only sell 5,000, that's your money down the drain. Like It's gone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I couldn't afford to make that many watches. Truthfully, it, it's a it's a great point. We their first few models were limited edition, and that means, you know, frankly, it boils down to I'm, I'm a man of my word. And we said it's limited edition. I will never make that exact same watch again. I will never make the Sanford in the same way. I will never make that Burnham in the same way. I will maybe iterate. We will maybe do something slightly that that's like an evolution of it, but we're not going to say here's the Sanford and it's got a different color and it's all new because that's bullshit. That's trickery. That's not, that's not being genuine, but with the, with the Jackson, you know, that's a chronograph and I do love chronographs. We will make another chronograph again. I'm absolutely positive of that. We have a similar design language that we're working with and it's something it's in the works. It's in the works, but we will, we will never remake a limited edition watch. Because like that sucks. Like to be someone who buys something, whether it's a watch, a, a, a whatever it may be, that is you're told like that's limited. We're only gonna make three hundred of them, and once we're done with that three hundred, that's it. And then all of a sudden, like two weeks later, it's like, dang it, it went so well. We made another thousand. I can't do that. I get it, and that is commendable, right? There's so many people that if you think about like the capitalism side of it, I think it goes back to whiskey. And for whiskey, for me, I tell brands. You know, if you're doing something, just be honest. Honesty goes and integrity goes so much further in this community because people are going to look at you and be like, you know what? That's a man of his word. So if people are looking at Oak and Oscar and obviously, you know, if you all think whiskey is crazy, the watch community is pretty crazy too. It's not as crazy as like 5,000 people showing up at Four Roses for 2,000 bottles crazy, <laughs> but it is pretty crazy i'd put money that there's a, the same level of crazy to be to be honest because like there are people who line up for uh, you know for example recently god like two years ago a year ago i can't remember time is weird now there's a release from patek with a, a a tiffany blue dial and anyone in the watch world knows that a tiffany stamp dial for whatever reason is extremely sought after and then a nautilus that is tiffany stamped and blue is ultra rare, especially because the year prior, Paddock said they would never make it again. And they did. And the only folks who got it, and they only made so many of them, were like Jay-Z and guys like that. And like, it, people were lined up. They were trying. People were like, literally trying to sell their homes to buy these watches. It's, it is crazy. People, and, and that's what's great about these types of industries, though. It's not that people are crazy. It's that they're passionate. They absolutely love whatever that may be. Whether it's waiting in line for the next sneakers, like the the new Air Jordans or whatever it may be, or that that limited whiskey release, it's the stuff that people get really passionate about. And what's amazing about it is it means someone is connected to it. They've connected to it in more of a way than just that's pretty product I want to buy it, but a that means something to me in my life. And that's amazing that there's products, there's things, there's stuff out there that people are so passionate about. That I love that. But this is what I love about this show. 
And I was telling you before we started recording, there's no pre-canned questions because we never know where the conversation is going to go. And you bring up sneakers and you bring up watch drops and you bring up all that other stuff. You know, we talk about whiskey drops. Sneakers really have it right recently. (laughs) And if you think about like the Adidas confirmed app, you think about the sneakers app for Nike, they're figuring out ways that you go in for the draw and it's random, right? Sorry, you don't get it. (laughs) But you have a chance of getting it and you feel like everybody has an equal chance to get it where like obviously a boutique sneaker brand that actually customize their own set of nikes whatever it is right you're waiting in line for those if you're getting like the supreme version of nikes okay you're probably waiting at a skate shop somewhere for this thing to drop but if you're trying to get a pair of yeezys or you're trying to get the next jordans you know everybody's got an equal shake yeah I don't feel like there's that in the, you know, it's like, okay, hey, we're going to drop a limited edition release. Like the number one pet peeve I have in whiskey is when shops do their raffles on Black Friday. And if you're a family man and you care, like there's no way I'm leaving on Thanksgiving to go get in line and camp out at a liquor store to try to get some bourbon. Like my family would kill me. I think it's like, yes, I know other people can go and they've talked about it with their spouses and everything's okay and their kids understand, but it's like, at what cost? At what cost are you doing? That shouldn't be the experience. No. Because you've just, you've missed out on good family time. You've missed out on, or maybe it's not family time. You've you've missed out on something you could be doing other than just standing in a line. But to each their own, maybe that person's like, I love that excitement. I love the, the standing in line, talking to the person in front of me or behind me or whatever it may be. And there is recently a launch in the watch world by Swatch, which happens to also own Omega. And it was the Moon Swatch. Which oh, those were awesome. From like a marketing and branding perspective is brilliant. And I love that. But what it is to explain to folks is the Omega Speedmaster is an iconic watch. It's a it is a watch that was worn on the moon. It was a watch that is, is famous solely for that and no offense to omega but they are riding that wave or ship maybe rock you know if you really want to get some puns in there to to the end of it and i think that's completely okay because it's really cool if we had a watch going to space i would too but what they did was swatch who in the owner of swatch has wanted to do this for years uh they created a very cheap you know let's call it cheap right two three hundred dollars maybe four hundred version of that same omega in a bunch of different colors that was available and it was only available in swatch boutiques or short time and people were literally waiting in line for like i think a day or two in some places i was actually going to switzerland the same weekend that it was dropped and i was kind of hoping like in switzerland you know there'll be so much more of them and there's more swatch boutiques and all of that but even there people who are jaded by the industry people who have been in the industry for for years people whose grandfather and grandmother and, and sister and everyone has worked in the watch industry even there they were excited about it it was crazy it's so interesting to find that passion and there are people telling stories about i waited i waited and it was fun and i I met this person and we celebrated when we got our watches. And conversely, there's people who walked away really disappointed and really mad at how Omega handled and how Swatch handled the release of it. Truth be told, going back to the honesty thing, they did say that they were going to release them online later, like a couple of weeks later, four, five, six weeks past, wasn't released online. And then they actually said, going to be boutique only. And so people were pissed and that, that transparency wasn't there and people were pissed and slowly those watches are starting to make it back into the market. But 
it's a crazy world the way people do these drops and and people were saying should they have just done a lottery i mean what i will say though is i'm looking on ebay right now you could get <laughs> 465 for the mission to the moon moon swatch so sure. it's not at least it's not going crazy it did for a few weeks they were yeah. going for two and three and four thousand dollars which is Still not as much as the original Omega Speedmaster. Well, I won't say the original. Sorry, that was in the six. It's still not as much as like a as a, a new modern Speedmaster. Crazy numbers. Like to see, it's effectively a plastic watch. I'm not gonna lie, I want one. <laughs> I just haven't been able to make it to a Swatch boutique yet. I've got a couple of Speedmasters. I want one of the plastic ones. Knowing that I could get it on secondary for 465, I know I will probably end up getting one. I will tell you one of the things I have coming that I'm really excited about is a Seikyo mod that Oh yeah? You know, it's just one that I've always wanted. Just What is it? Tell me more. It looks like a Panerai and the Okay, yeah. It's uh I'll I'll send you a, a picture of it. I'll text it to you while we're talking. I just really have always wanted one and I was trying to explain it to someone. They're like, Why are you getting that? It's so and I'm like, it's just the craftsmanship. There was another one I wanted, but I couldn't find anybody who did it. And they sure. completely blacked out the watch. Okay. And the only thing you could see were the hands. So it had nothing sure. else. It had no numbers, mm -hmm. nothing else on the dial. It was just completely black. And I thought it looked so cool, but I just couldn't yeah. find that mod. These mods that a lot of folks do, and Seiko is one of the biggest brands that people mod because it's a relatively cheap watch and you can do it relatively easily. And it's and a, a cheap automatic it. movement on it. Sure. It's a beautiful, like Seiko, like 013, Seiko 07, some of the newer pieces, like it's phen they're phenomenally great value. And I've got a couple. And most folks in the watch world, even if they have million dollars of collection, they'll have that. But what's cool about the Seiko mod, what I was going to say, it's kind of like folks in the bourbon world who mix different bourbons to ultimately try and get to what may be that grail bourbon that they can't buy in the store. But if you mix this seven year, this weeded, this, that, and the other together, it's going to taste like whatever that bottle is. It's that kind of same world where you're taking this Seiko, something that's somewhat obtainable, and you're mixing it with parts and you're finding people who have actually made this dial that fits this watch. And you're coming up with that piece that that kind of replicates, it's an homage, if you will, that ultimate piece that you really may want. A hundred percent. I just sent you both of the ones, like the one that was just the, the blacked out dial and then the one yeah. that I ended up getting. I, I just think it's a fun little thing. I mean, I, I probably won't wear it as much as I wear my, my blizzard, but... Your dinner plate? What? Yes. <laughs> My dinner plate. I do. It looks good on me, but I, I think uh, there's a whole bunch of watches that I think I want. Oak and Oscar on the list, but it's a very expensive habit. And bourbon is a very expensive habit. And shoes are a very expensive habit. I happen to like all of them. So I have to yeah. pick and choose what I'm buying and when I'm buying it. I do want to go back to you, you going back and having these limited editions that you are putting out. Sure. What is your kind of batch size? Putting yeah. it in ways that whiskey people can understand. Sure. If you're putting yeah, together yeah. a small batch, what do you really aim for? It can it can really vary. Um, and what's fun now is we actually get to play more with even smaller batches. And it's funny that we even use the word batch because we're so, or me, I guess I'm so like bourbon oriented that, so we, we have the folks who buy our watches, we call them owners. We don't call them customers. It feels too transactionary. And we actually have an owner's only 
watch that we release every couple of years and we actually call them batch so we have like a batch number one we've done a batch number two and we're planning a batch number three and four etc cetera, etc cetera. and they're only for our owners and their best drinking buddies quite literally that's that's how we describe it we don't market them we don't put them online you won't even see them really on our social media or anywhere um, you can only get it if you know how to get it and we call it like i said batch number one batch number two etc and those are really limited editions. Those are very limited. They're anywhere from like 10 to 50 pieces, maybe 100. Our normal limited edition will run anywhere from 50 to three to four or 500 pieces. A small, like it runs from small to, to big. We've done things even smaller. We've done 10 pieces, like the Humboldt seven year with the brass that we made. We also did... I don't know if you're a fan of curling. I am. Uh, and I'm sure at least some of your listeners. It's are. very, very fun to watch. Super fun. We were actually, I can't say the sponsor of the U.S. Men's Olympic team because that's totally illegal and, and against the rules. But they all wore our watches on the ice, which is great in the Olympics. It was so fun. But was something that we did even more, that, uh, even more fun for the Olympics is we actually found a curling stone. And we had a lapidary take it and grind it down into little tiny discs. And we installed them inside in, into the back of the watch. So we made 10 limited edition pieces called the Humboldt Schuster after the captain of the team. They had actual curling stones in the back of them. And that was a super small, very limited run. We only made 10. Five of them are owned by the players, and five of them were available to the public. I think it would be fun to like get a brush in there, too. Like The, the hands were brushes. That would be a, a watch that I think Swatch could do very well. They've got a whole bunch of novelty pieces like that. And that would be great, because then on the band, like on the Swatch band, it could just say, hold, 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 hold. Over and over, like, could be Absolutely. really cool. I can see, like, a, a, a pop art style with, like, a bunch of pixelated colors. That's great. A hundred percent. And I think Swatch did the pop art stuff a few mm-hmm. years they back did. that was really good. They've done they've done everything. It's amazing what they've done. But Matt Hamilton, who's a buddy of mine who's on the curling team, he would absolutely go for that. I know it. He would wear that strap every day. <laughs> I'm very, very interested you're knowing that this is your full-time gig. So is the Humboldt, is that kind of just going to be the one that's always on there at this point? So we have, in addition to things like the batch that we talked about, which is only for our owners, we have a few different levels of product availability. We have what we call kind of our signature series, which is the Humboldt, the Olmstead. Those are watches that are just going to be available. They're part of the house brand, if you will. The Olmstead right now, we actually sold too many of them over the past couple of years. So we're out of stock and waiting to get replenished. But so those are our signature. We will add more to them as we keep growing. We have plans uh, to do that. And then we have our limited editions where we do have those pieces that we only make a certain number of. And that's it's, it's how we do it. So the Humboldt and the Olmstead right now are the key pieces that we have with limited editions that we we sprinkle in there. Because I was going to say, if you're going limited edition all the time, coming from the job you came from, that's probably not attainable to to it's keep not, a business. It isn't, and it's a waste of it's a waste of effort and brain power in some ways. Like it is super fun to do something limited, and it's super fun to know that only however many hundred of these will ever be in the world. But you put so much time and effort and energy into this one design and the launch of it and the branding of it and the making of it that as soon as it's done, that's it. Like the Sanford that you mentioned, I wish I could make 10,000 more of those. I'm 
sure I could sell them. That was one of our most popular watches. And it was only our second watch we ever made. And now like we sold those retail for about 1850, something like that. They sell now in, in, in like two, three, four thousand $4,000. Which is Second very hand. funny because the secondary market for watches is a, like shoes. It's very much a commonplace. Like nobody looks at it like in eh, the secondary market where yeah. I think with whiskey, I've said this before, it is a double edged sword. Like, do I think Pappy needs to be up over two grand? No, but like is secondary where hype starts. Like if you want to yeah. see if a brand is good or not, like look and see what's going on with it with secondary and and i think secondary in the past very much used to be like let's help people out yeah i'm gonna make a couple bucks on it but people that can't get the allocation or they live in different parts of the country and it's a tennessee or kentucky only release and etc etc with watches and shoes it's kind of like okay i've run my course of time with this watch and a watch and a shoe it's not necessarily a depreciating asset like bourbon is absolutely and i think that you you hit the nail on the head with that one because a watch is something that you keep it going for years and years and years and and exactly like you said you've worn it you've liked it you've appreciated it but you're like eh, i'm i'm ready to move on and i want somebody else to appreciate and wear this watch because it's worth it and i want to trade this so i can pay it forward to yep my next thing. So I'm either trading somebody for another watch or I'm getting the cash from the sale and I'm putting that towards another watch purchase. Or you're offering me, I say this and I'm serious. We actually have people occasionally who will offer me like bottles of bourbon in exchange for a watch. I mean, I was thinking about it, but I mean, I love, it's like, I love, I love bourbon, but like I've got, I'm, I'm lucky to have a pretty good collection and I don't need another bottle of that. You know, and it's like, thanks, I appreciate it. But I do know people who have actually used bourbon as a form of currency for a watch. We have, I don't know if you've seen the series that we do on YouTube, it's called The Watch Table, where we interview folks who own our watches. We talk about their entire collection, everything from a Swatch to Omega to Rolex to Patek, whatever it may be. And one guy who's a really good friend of mine on Instagram, he's Bearded Southern Gentleman. He's a dad who loves bourbon. I did watch his episode. There you go. And he got one of his watches with a dealer in North Carolina by trading him. I think it was was about 20 bottles of bourbon, something like that. Some store picks, some hard to find stuff. And he got a a, a $4,000 watch out of it. I won't name the dealer because I don't think he does that anymore. But I love that story. And it makes so much sense for who he is, too. It's a tremendous, he's a tremendous guy. And it's such a fun story for anybody listening. I am more than happy to trade bourbon for watches. So just a heads up, like if you're listening, (laughs) I'm here going back to just the company in general. I kind of feel like there is an interesting thing in the watch industry, like because you're, you have partners that you're going out to, you're going out to people in Switzerland, you're going out to a person making straps in Indiana, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is it almost like being an NDP? Yeah. Um, but you're also, it's weird because you're kind of designing it, right? Like you have the template of what you want to do and you have the concept and the vision, but in order to it, so maybe not necessarily an NDP, like your contract distilling. Yeah. It's, so it's not like everyone has the same juice and they put a different label on it. It's not as simple as that. 
Yeah, you're um, you have the mash bill that you want them to make, and you're correct. going and asking them to and do. Then it. There's a lot of like if you want to get really like, and then we make sure that the glass bottle is perfect, and we make sure that the cork is great, and the labels, and how it's done, and the temperature that it's stored in, and and we make sure that it's from the barrels that are the best barrels in the in the rack house. And so it's 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 like that on steroids, and it's way less. To be very frank, uh, it's way less marketing money, right? Because there's so many of these craft distilleries who use the same juice from Southern Indiana, et cetera, who it's a marketing machine. Now, granted, some of them are delicious and they've chosen well, and they've done a really good job of, of whether it's blending or picking or what have you. But so much of it is just putting the right amount of money in the right place. Whereas in our world, yeah, we use a lot of the same movements that other watch companies use, right? We use the same case makers that other really well appreciated and loved watch companies use, but it's our design. It's, it's our language. And at the end of the day, it's also our quality control. We reject a lot of things that they, that other brands may accept, but we won't take it. We won't sell it. We won't consider it an open Oscar piece because it's not good enough. One of the things that makes that big difference between just like a contract distilling is, is that we take control of the product and also how it's made. And we are making sure that it's made to our specification. We are the one who our watchmaker in our shop is fine-tuning it, making sure it's running properly and are there to support it for its life. So it's a similar vibe in the sense that much of the components that most of the watch companies are using are somewhat available, but it's all about how you tune it to your company. And I think it's also like, if you would think about it, I'm trying to make it like, so that I'm using analogies to bourbon and whiskey, but it's almost like other people are contract distilling, but you're blending. And that blending is what is going to make, you know, and it's more than that, right? It's, it's blending. It's, you're doing all the marketing for it. You're looking at it. It's, it's blending. And maybe you're, you're even supplying the oak. Maybe you're even supplying some of the wheat, some of the, the corn, some of the mash, you know, and, and, maybe you're even there working with that distiller to figure out exactly what you want that end product to be. It's definitely labor intensive, but, and stressful, but really also fun to see that piece you've been working on for two years finally come alive. That is so much fun. I'm glad, I'm so glad you found something that merges together all the things that, you know, you really enjoy. And I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but you're just going to have to come on again and we'll uh, drink some bourbon and talk more watches when people want to. And if you like this though, let me know, give me some feedback y'all. This is a little bit different from our norm, but it is bourbon adjacent. So I figured it was a good conversation. We learned a lot about watches and what's the next one coming out. I mean, we're not here to drop some news, but like how long do we have to wait? Uh, We will likely have a limited edition piece coming out later this year. I do think that we'll have another signature piece coming out next year. I will say, because this is the audience that needs to hear it, we will have a bourbon-related watch, like an actual bourbon-related watch. You're not going to do like that original grain stuff where like you make the watch out of like staves, right? No, no. The watch, it's it's a nice metal watch. It's uh, all of our design language, but it's done in a really cool way. I can't wait for that one. You're going to have to like give me a sneak peek knowing, right? I'm telling you right now. Don't worry. I won't let's, share uh, it. Let's, ha- let's hang out in Nashville. Let's get some barbecue. Let's get some bourbon and we'll talk watches. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Chase, it was a pleasure having you. Where can people find you besides oakandoscar.com? 
definitely social media, Oak and Oscar on Instagram, uh, as well as our shop here in Chicago. Set up an appointment, come see us. We have about 70 different bottles of whiskey and bourbon. We like to hand it out while we're while we're talking watches. It's uh it's a good time. I think you need a dad's drinking bourbon pick or two. Maybe we could like swap it for a watch and then you could have those. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, go ahead and find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Please leave us an open and honest review, just like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. You can also find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Chase, thank you again. Thank you very much. It's been it's been fun. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.